It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. What's up, Reds fans? Welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today on this Friday episode. We've got on the show, Mo Egger, friend of the podcast, is back. We're going to talk about all things Reds offseason, how excited he is with all of these new additions. Also, look at Nixon Zell and probably, you know, maybe even talk about some of the Houston Astros cheating stuff going on. And all that good stuff. So we're going to get to that here in just a moment. The Locked On Reds podcast, of course, is always brought to you, at least during spring training, by Arizona Tourism. If you have not already booked your trip out to Goodyear, Arizona, the best way to do that is through visitarizona.com slash spring training. You can go out there, you can get your flight, get your game tickets, book a hotel, all that good stuff right from Visit Arizona.com slash spring train. They've even got like lists for excursions and itineraries for different things to check out. So many natural wonders out there in Arizona. And hey, did I mention the weather's warm? It's like 20 degrees outside right now here in Cincinnati. Freezing. Not that way in Arizona. Warm weather, baseball. Go out and check out some Cactus League action and use visitarizona.com slash spring training to get you there where you want to be. All right, so before we jump into the interview with Mo Egger, I just wanted to make sure that you remember to subscribe on all the many podcasting platforms. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds. And save the Lockdown Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. Give me your reactions, your questions. If you think I said something dumb because I say that a lot, let me know. 513-549-0159. All right, so without further ado, let's jump into the interview with friend of the podcast, Mo Egger. All right, for today's Locked On Reds, we have friend of the podcast, Mo Egger. I'm sorry I didn't bring you anything today. Who um, Who's your most frequent guest? Um, Who have you had on the most? It's probably you. Yeah. Um, James, second. Rapine? Yeah. Is this uh, my third time, fourth Doug, time? Well, Doug, Doug might be up there, too. Um, yeah, I think this is your fourth. It's so like Saturday Night Live. They you know, they used to joke about like the Five Timers Club, and it was like Steve Martin, Alec Baldwin, Tom Hanks. Shit, I didn't think and of that. So you know, you, you we should have like a a Five Timers Club. The next time I'm on will be my fifth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Next time's the fifth, even if today's the fifth. I forget. But anyway, um, so lots to talk about. It's been an awesome off season. I think last time I talked to you, we hadn't signed Nick Castellanos yet. I don't yeah. even know if we signed. It was Shoka. before the off season. 
It was before the offseason started. All right, so we hadn't signed yeah. anybody. Um, <laughs> so lots to get to on that. Uh, firstly, obviously, I mean, I think we're all feeling pretty good. So that's yeah. an obvious answer to that question. With the people that you've talked to, because you've had Keith Law on the show, you've had different people looking at the Reds' offseason, taking away from what they've said now, how mm-hmm. do you feel? I feel good. I feel optimistic. It's, it's you know, in this day and age, everything – either has to be the best ever or the worst ever, right? Right. So it's not good enough to go, ah, oh, they got a chance of being pretty good. Like, I keep telling people, I look at the Reds and I see an 85-win team. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to win 85 games, um, but I, I see a team that looks like an 85-win team. But you haven't been able to say in a long time. That's really damn good compared yeah. to last year. Yeah. That's really damn good compared to uh, uh, 15 through 18. So, um, but... You know, like you mentioned Keith Law. Keith Law wrote a piece, mm-hmm. and he wasn't head over heels in love with what the Reds did. He acknowledged they should be better. It wasn't like he said they're going to be worse. Right. He just wasn't, you know, ready to 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 put him at the the ninety win plateau. Well, that's fair. It's hard to go from seventy five wins to ninety wins. So, I, I feel like to a degree, um, my opinions kind of lost amid all the. Well, they're gonna they're gonna go to the World Series. Like, I'm, I hope to God they do. Uh, I I think they're I, I think we're in for a really interesting summer because I think we we're gonna have four teams that win between eighty and eighty eight games. Right. And it's gonna be a blast. And we're gonna be doing a lot of scoreboard watching. And ultimately, I think the two keys to this season. I had a I did an interview in Milwaukee today where it was a guy wanting to talk you know preview all the teams in the Central and I go. To me, I think it's going to be whoever plays the guest, the best against the Pirates, mm-hmm. and maybe whoever makes the biggest move on July thirty first. Yep, the biggest addition on July thirty first, and whoever plays the best against the worst team in the division. If there's one team of the four that goes like sixteen and two, or one team of the four that goes like two and sixteen right. and play themselves out of contention, I think it's going to be those two things. So I feel good, but it feels like it's not. Good enough to say, I feel pretty good. I think they can contend. Everybody wants this definitive, like, come on, man, they're going to make the World Series or they're going to win the division. I don't feel that strongly. I think you can make a case. I feel less this way about the Brewers. I think you can make compelling cases for the Cardinals, Cubs, and Reds to win the division. I think it's an 85-win team. Let's see who plays best against the Pirates. And I'm okay with it. I think that Reds fans, I think probably everybody's fans, but Reds fans especially get this whole idea of where they've looked at themselves in the mirror for far too long and they think they look beautiful. And every so often there's flaws. I mean, the last six years, there's been a lot of pockmarks in there. Um, But with the way that they've put together this team, the first guy that I think of, because he's been the most interesting, at least so far, has been Shogo. Yeah. And there's a lot of variance as to how they think that he can be utilized. Some people think, oh, he can be the everyday center fielder and the leadoff hitter. And you've got Keith Law. And I read somebody else the other day that said that they're like, you know, if he's the fourth outfielder, then, hey, more power to you. Yeah. Would it be a disappointment if he's the fourth outfielder? No, but because to me, if if – if a guy that you're paying $21 million to isn't a starting outfielder, somebody, is it leapfrogged, Hopefully. left him? Hopefully. Is leapfrogged the right word? Yeah, I'll take leapfrog. Is that some, somebody that. passed him? Yeah. Somebody outperformed him? Isn't that what we're looking for? Aren't we looking for somebody in this relatively unproven group of outfielders to outperform somebody? That's true. So good, they've created competition. If Shogo Akiyama is the fourth outfielder, that, that means somebody crushed it this spring. 
It also means they took their best 25 north, which they didn't last year. So, no, it's, I mean, it's one thing if, like, you know, he's falling over himself in the outfield and he's overmatched by big league pitching and you're playing somebody else uh, out of process of elimination. I I tend to think, though, that if if, if Shogo Shogo Akiyama's on the bench more than he's playing, somebody's doing really, really well. So, to a degree, you kind of hope that happens. And I, I want to be sitting here at the end of the at the end of spring training, having like debates over who should get the bulk of the playing time because this guy is you know killing it. Like we, and you know, to a degree, we're doing that last year with Senzel and Irvin because they had such great springs, and then neither guy made the team. Like I, I want this to be a really tough decision for David Bell. I don't want it to be obvious. Right. I'm, I'm sure David Bell would tell you the same thing. Like the week before opening day, I want there to be legitimate discussions of who, who sits, who doesn't play. I don't think we're going to get there. But yeah, if, if Akiyama's not the, the everyday guy, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, not because we have, because that's been the case the last couple of years. It's like, oh, we have so many outfielders, but we do we really? Right. This year, it really feels like we do. And part of that equation is our man Nick Senzel, who has no idea <laughs> what he's going to, if he's going to be carrying the water, if he's going to be the leadoff hitter. I, there's a big range of spectrum in there. Right. What role on this team for Nick Senzel would make you looking back on this year and being like, you know what, that was a good year for him? That's a great question. Um, That's a great question. For me, um, if by the end of the season he has a position Mm -hmm. and there's marked statistical improvement from what we saw last season, it's weird with him because it's it's often – you know, not what you say, but how you say it, or not what you say, but what you don't say. It's interesting to me. And, you know, maybe I'm being as guilty with Nick Senzel as the national media is with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Mm -hmm. But it's it it just, I I was listening to uh, Nick Crawl talk about options at third base if uh, Suarez isn't ready to go on opening day. Mm -hmm. And he never mentioned the name Nick Senzel. And then he's talking about, well, if Moustakis is going to go to third, who's going to play second? He never mentioned the name Nick Senzel. Everybody on the roster almost. It, yeah. Oh, you know, Josh Van Meter and, uh, you know. Um, Pretty sure he said Alex, Alfredo Rodriguez. Alex Blandino. <laughs> yeah, Brandon Phillip. Ron Oster might play some second base. <laughs> yeah. So that's really interesting to me in that it just feels like the temperature is lukewarm from the Reds when it comes to Nick Senzel. Right. I fully believe they've made him available in a trade. And yep. not like calling teams going, take Nick Senzel from us, but hey, we want Francisco Lindor. We'll give you Nick We'll Senzel. give you Nick Senzel. Yeah. And, and that's okay. But everything feels lukewarm. He played center field last year. Well, they went out and signed a center fielder. Right. Uh, well, but that guy could play right field. But then they went and got a right fielder. <laughs> well, Senzel could also play second base. Well, yeah, but we got Mustakas to do that. Uh, okay. Well, hey, there's a maybe an opening at third base early in the season. Eh, nah. Well, what about shortstop? No. So it just, you know, you keep crossing off options. It, you know, what's left? Now, I, I've brought this up a number of times. You, you have a pretty good team if the number two overall pick in the 2016 draft is coming off your bench. Yep. Like, people go, well, he's just a utility guy. Okay. You know, <laughs> damn good utility. Well, good. I mean, you know, it's kind of you, 
you need players like that. You need guys who could do multiple things and be a super sub. And by the way, if you could do that, you're going to play a lot. And, and at some point, you're, you're going to find a place in the lineup almost every single day. But it's just, I, I used to always joke about Andy Dalton. Um, you know, when, when he was like firmly entrenched as the Bengals starting quarterback, I did this on the air one day where I said, walk around where you work and ask people how they feel about Andy Dalton. And before they give you an answer, they'll make a face. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'll do it for you here. Like, oh, right. Andy Dalton. You know, before they, you know, they, they just, they, they, they wince, they cringe, and then they give you their answer. And all I need to know is, I, I, it's all over your face. I don't need your answer at this point, right? The worst is when you go, well, he's a nice guy. No, right. no, no that doesn't mean anything yeah. on the field. <laughs> like, go in and ask your boss if there's, hey, can I take on this project that, you know, maybe is above your pay grade? You'll have your answer before they give an answer. Yeah. Look at their face. So I feel like with, with Nick Senzel, whenever I read anything coming from the Reds, I always imagine them making a face about him. Because right. it just feels like they like him but don't love him. And and maybe with good reason. I'm not saying they're wrong. He, you know, his rookie season was not a disappointment, but you didn't walk away from it feeling like it was a smashing success. He has a, a track record of injury. So I could understand the lukewarmth, but it feels like we spend a lot of breath on somebody and we've we've really valued a guy that on the surface they don't really appear to value. Got a lot more to get to with Mo, but before we do, I want to do today's Fantasy Minute brought to you by League Commish. The Fantasy Minute for Friday, February 21st. Today, we're going to focus on a guy, and it's interesting because one of the things that these Fantasy Minutes have been doing is focusing on a player, their 2019 performance, and how that differs and what you can expect or what we think you can expect for the 2020 season. Today, I want to talk about a dude who did not have a 2019 season in Major League Baseball, and that is Shogo Akiyama. I think Shogo is going to be a very interesting fantasy candidate this year, a fantasy target for your outfield. I don't know that he's going to be going super high on anyone's draft boards. The rankings on ESPN.com do have him as the 92nd rated outfielder, i.e. you're probably not even going to see him drafted in fantasy draft. So this is an interesting uh, target, really. And I know it's weird to to focus on a guy who isn't necessarily rated in the top 100 outfielders, or I mean he is, but the top, you know, whatever, 300 players overall for all positions. But at the same token, I think that he will be an interesting target. Not even, if you're a Reds fan, obviously you're going to have your eye on him, but he's going to make contact, he's going to get on base, He'll probably be slotted in at the top of the lineup, which means that he will have plenty of run scoring potential. I think, and it also depends on what sort of league that you're in. If you're in a rotisserie league or if you're in one of those head-to-head -head most category leagues and you need a guy who's got decent average and if you play on base percentage, maybe with some runs, you know, run scored and things like that. Shogo's going to be an interesting candidate, not somebody to just completely write off. I think his conservative rating is indicative of the fact that no one really knows what to think of this guy. And I think he's going to be somebody that you need to have your eye on in fantasy. I mean, obviously, if you're a good fantasy manager, you've pretty much got your eye on every single player out there. But he's definitely a guy to keep a good look on 
especially if you've got a weak outfield after your draft is over and you're looking at your outfield maybe you're really heavy on the power and really heavy on strikeout potential Shogo does not profile as a high strikeout guy in fact he's quite the opposite he profiles as a very low strikeout guy somebody to take account of and that's your fantasy minute for the day where we looked at Shogo Akiyama here on this Friday, February 21st, and this Fantasy Minute is brought to you by League Kamish. What are you doing for the game? Whether the casual follower that tweets everything, the beginner, the diehard, the statner, the smack talker, the appetizer guy, the couldn't care less, or the makes everything into a competition person, we all have our place in the sports fandom world. The same personalities apply to fantasy sports, and League Commission exists to ensure your fantasy sports experience is the best one for you. We match managers to leagues as we lay the foundation for your new league. It's an easy sign-up process. All you do is select your preferences, you get matched, and approve of that match before any commitment on your end. Sign up with League Commish by February 29th and receive 15% off by entering the code LOCKED ON in the referred by section of the sign up form. The first 25 people to sign up using this code LOCKED ON receive their first match completely free. What are you doing for the game? Find your next fantasy sports league at leaguecommish.com. All right. Now that that's all over, we will jump back in to the interview with Mo Egger. Like you said, the, uh, what what they're not saying means more than what they're saying because the only thing that they've said is we're not trading. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because there was that rumor that came up. Well, they, they said they're not looking to trade him. Not looking to trade him. Yeah. Right. And then that rumor that came up with the Padres and the Red Sox and Nixon Zell going to the Padres, and there was nothing coming back to the Reds in the rumor, so I was like, okay, that's that's kind of dead, but... I think we're going to hear that all season until he does lock down a position finally. Is oh hey, they might be trading. If you're trying to win the World Series this year and and you're really going all in and Nick Senzel's not a major part of your team, why would he be untouchable? Right. I mean, you know, again, it's 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 one thing if if he's playing center field for you and he's playing every day and he's doing a great job and you're thrilled with him then but but right now <clears throat> right now it doesn't feel like he is a major part of their team. He might be a major part of their plans, mm-hmm. but there's a difference between major part of their plans and major part of their team. Um, that could change. It could change within a week. I mean, you know, who knows? Uh, he's got to get healthy and all that. But, you know, but if he's not a major part of your team this year and, and we're sitting here on July 31st wondering how they get better, how on earth is Nick Senzel untouchable? I don't right. think he is now. I don't think he's been this offseason. And I certainly don't think he should be around July 31st. And I agree with that. And one thing that you brought up, talking about shortstop, and this was something that was big going into the offseason because people were kind of wondering what it meant to go all in and get the hitting and all this other stuff. And everyone had created their own list of needs for the Reds. Yeah. And But the Reds obviously went out and didn't get a shortstop. They didn't get a catcher. But we don't necessarily look at that as a failure. When you think of Freddie Galvis as the everyday shortstop, much of the narrative surrounding the offseason for him was, well, if he's their opening day shortstop, then they failed this offseason. Do you believe that? No. I don't think so either. No. Yeah. I, I don't I, that, I don't view that as failure. I view that as 
a nice fallback option. Yeah. I mean, he's right? got a, he's got a career on base less than 300 and I think people like to hammer that. And it's something that he said in like a quote where he's like I understand my weaknesses and I'm working on them this spring training. How long do you give him to really prove to you that the Reds don't need to go out and get another shortstop? I don't know that I have the answer to that because I don't know what plan B would be. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know. Um, it's not on the roster currently. Yeah, correct. I, I have a feeling if we are spending a lot of time talking about Freddie Galvis not performing, this team's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I remember in, in 2012 – Specifically, I'd get phone calls about Zach Cozart. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're calling me about the eighth place hitter yeah. or seventh, whatever it was. Pretty damn good team if, if that's what we're worried about. Well, they, you know, they just, they, they got to get more. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's pretty good defensively. <laughs> it, you know, if, if your biggest, if your biggest nit to pick, as they say, is Zach Cozart's not hitting. Everybody else must be performing quite well. And I, I kind of feel the same about Freddie Galvis. If, if we are spending much time on him, that means Joey Votto has bounced back. That means they're getting more offense from the catcher position, mm-hmm. um, which they tried to upgrade and didn't. It means th- the outfield is fine. It means the starting pitching is healthy. It means David Bell is successfully managing the bullpen. It means whatever defensive shortcomings fans are worried about have been rectified. And and now we're just going to pick on Freddie. I, I just I, I think there's there's certain things that should be up there in terms of things you worry about. Like yeah. again, Joey Votto, because he's going to be the starting first baseman for the next four years. <laughs> Damn right it matters whether or not he's better because there's there is no plan B. Right. If Freddie Galvis isn't very good, someone else will play shortstop. It, it might be somebody on the roster right now. They may say, to hell with it, finally, Suarez, just go play the position. You've done it before. Maybe they, all right, fine, let's give Senzel a chance. They find somebody else in the organization. I, I just, I, I feel like that is relatively, certainly you would love it if he hit for power the way he did last year. Right. Certainly you would love it if he takes this, you know, massive step forward offensively. Certainly you would love it if he plays the position really well. Um but I just, I, I I feel like there's, there's there's big picture things and things that really affect uh, how good the team is going to be, and then things that, if the team isn't very good, Freddie Galvis is going to be one of many things on a long list of reasons why the Reds are bad. Right. And if the Reds are good, all right, fine. I wish we had somebody better than Freddie Galvis, but they're still pretty good. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Like, I just, I, I just, I, I look at this team as a whole and I go, like, all offseason, I, I, I would have loved other players. I would have loved, you know, uh, Carlos Correa or Corey Seager. I yeah. would have loved that. Um, but all along, I've kind of looked at it and went, eh, if it's Freddie Galvis, okay. Uh, yeah, they're really, like, all right. It's kind of it's kind of along the line. Like I, I I just remembered, you know, back in 2010, everyone kind of had it. Well, Orlando Cabrera could be better, and yeah. I think you're right. Like if we're talking about that, there's no perfect team. Like as much as someone can try to put together a team in an offseason and make them a perfect team, the closest thing we have to a perfect team was a big red machine and the 27 Yankees. Yeah. And if that is what you're shooting for, then there's a lot of teams who have won World Series that are far below that. You should be, you know, you... you, you Washington wasn't a perfect team. Right. You should always be looking for upgrades. I mean, right. th- yeah. th- there are better shortstops on the planet than Freddie Galvis. Right. And the Reds have shown interest in them. 
the good news is th- there's a lot of teams that would go, well, hell, I'd like to have a guy as good as Freddie Galvis. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, it, it, it would have been interesting to me to see what would have happened at shortstop had he not come available late last year. Yeah. Because I fully believe the primary motivation behind his acquisition was we're not letting Jose Iglesias hold us hostage. Right. Uh, they thought, and maybe this did happen, they thought Jose Iglesias was going to ask for the moon. Well, he didn't get it with the Baltimore Orioles. No, <laughs> he no, got he one year, I think, two and a half mil. Like, yeah, and with a team option. So that, Not even a player option. I, I think it would have been interesting to see what they would have done. Because it, last year was odd to me. In, in the middle of the summer, it kind of felt like everybody liked Jose Iglesias. Mm. And then by September, nobody liked Jose Iglesias. And I'm like, okay, the dude's really good defensively. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. again, I'd love a, a guy that could hit at shortstop, but, you know. I think it goes back to that all-or-nothing mentality. There were some people out there that were saying, well, Jose Iglesias is our option at shortstop for the rest of eternity. Yeah. And yeah. I think that scared some people. And so there was this big fight that evolved. He was a nice – Evolved. He was a – yeah, so – I, you know, I, again, I just I, I would I would I like a player better than uh, Freddie Galvis, one hundred percent. I would have I would have thrown a parade had they made a trade for Francisco Lindor because he instantly yeah. would have been their best player. Yeah, and Corey Seager might have as well. Like, okay, in the absence of that, eh, okay, they have Freddie Galvis. <laughs> I just I I have a feeling if we spend a lot of time talking about him, this team's going to be pretty good. And that's a good point. And even thinking about that, like the whole opportunity cost thing, they didn't give up anything to keep Freddie Galvis. Yeah. And they still have all of their top prospects, and they still added all of the stuff that they did to the lineup. I think that's a good thing. Uh, So moving on, uh, probably the last thing we'll talk about here, and it's something that I go back and forth on because I think it's worth talking about, but at the same time, I'm almost tired of talking about it. Astros cheating? Yeah. Expanded playoffs? Yeah. No, 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 no. Not expanded. I hate expanded. I'm not even talking about expanded. But the Astros cheating thing, I had a thought. Something that we've not, or at least I've not heard a ton of people talking about. If you switch out the Astros, and this Mm -hmm. is, of course, hypothetical, and hypothetical is worth what it's worth. You switch out the Astros with the Reds two years ago. Mm -hmm. How are we feeling? Oh, we're we're defending them to the death, right? Well, it's that, but we're happy about the World Series. I think that people are kind of belaboring; they're they're they're, they're missing that point with the Astros. Is that oh, the Astros fans they gotta hate their team right now? It's like, no, I wouldn't hate my team. Uh, I have a very good friend who's a University of Louisville basketball fan. He will yep. tell you every single day they won the 2013 national title. It doesn't matter that it was vacated. Right, he, he was there. He went to those games. Um, <laughs> he had a great time. He would tell you it was totally worth it. Right. So I've listened to a lot of Houston sports talk radio because I, I just I do think it is such an interesting multi-layered story mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons, some of which are really nerdy. Like it's always in a, in a day and age where we are really aware of sort of the, the often contentious relationship between the union in sports, mm-hmm. players associations, and the leagues themselves – uh, the, the union as a as an entity is almost helpless here because this is players on players. Yeah, you know this isn't players versus management. So I just I just think it's, I think the I think the story itself is really fascinating, really fascinating. Um, 
but but I, you know I've listened to I've listened to Houston Sports Talk Radio and I've heard the hosts and the callers, you know, go out of the way to defend what, what the Astros have admitted they did was wrong. Right. And many have said, hey, I, you know, I, I I was I remember when they won Game Seven of the World Series. It was one of the happiest nights of my life, and nothing will ever take that away. I I, I get it. I, I you know, now the crap that comes with it. It, to me, it depends on your level of hypersensitivity as a fan. Mm-hmm. And we're in a very hypersensitive age. So, you know, if if you're the type of fan that can't handle eternal razzing and people for the, for the rest of time questioning the legitimacy of that World Series title, if you can handle that, then I would say, yeah, it's worth it. But if you're going to get butt hurt... Every time someone says, like my buddy who likes U of L, I always talk about like how Cincinnati won the 2012 Big East Championship because mm-hmm. they played in the tournament in the final, right? And Louisville had to vacate it, and it doesn't bother him. He's like, "Yeah, Mo, you're funny." It, it doesn't bother him. <laughs> right. But if you're gonna get angry every time someone says, "Yeah, that World Series title that you really didn't win," then you probably want to win it. Want to win it clean. To me, it has, as, from a fan standpoint, it has as much to do with your level of hypersensitivity. And so my guess is it's going to get very old for Astros fans Mm -hmm. when, like, this isn't going away. No. and We're not going to just stop talking about it. No, it's it's not going away. And forever, when people mention the Houston Astros won World Series title, it's going to be connected to a cheating scandal. Mm -hmm. Nothing they do this year is going to change that. So... I feel like there are fans that wouldn't handle that well. For them, it's probably not worth it. Mm-hmm. If you're like my buddy who likes U of L, that just goes, screw it. They won the national title. I was there. I got the T-shirt. I got the hat. Right. Was there when they beat Michigan. So to hell with you. Then it's worth it. But most fans aren't that way. You know, it just I see it all the time. That's true. You know, so if if you're going to be the kind of person that just can't handle. What's going to come your way now if you're an Astros fan? Mm, I would say it probably wasn't worth it. And I think of this, it's a terrible or interesting time, at least, for this story to be coming out because you've got the whole uh, collective bargaining agreement that's going to be coming up here soon. And most people think that there's going to be a strike. I'm a fan of baseball. I don't want to see baseball not happen. But it sure seems like this is just another huge log that they're throwing on that fire. And I'll be interesting to see how it all plays out because every day you've got players coming out saying, well, they didn't get punished enough. And you've got lots of media folks and all this different stuff. And I don't think that the commissioner's office takes the media folks into account, but they definitely got to listen to the players on this. Do you think they're done with the punishment? I mean, I don't I don't want to think ask what you think they need because I think we both agree that what our opinion is on this isn't that big. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you think they're done with that? Done with the punishment end of it? Yeah. Uh, with the with the Astros specifically, yeah. B- because if if now you go back and try to retro- retroactively punish players, you know, you're going to have a major legal fight on your hands sure. from the MLBPA. So, you know, as much as I think it's silly that that no player was punished, if you're Rob Manfred, I mean, you've you've handed down the punishment and then you've doubled down on it by explaining the rationale and the thinking behind it. Now, if you go back, first of all, you're going to come off as incredibly weak as a leader. Right. Uh, that you're going to cave to criticism. 
boy, that's Rob Manford has said he's a precedent guy. That's not a precedent you want to establish. Uh, number two, um, the folks who you know file grievances on behalf of players for the union are going to pick you apart. So, yeah. I I think we're done with punishments there. But um, the, the it's interesting because you know you compare the NFL and Major League Baseball, and in the NFL, the players bitch that Goodell has too much power, and he wields it. Oh, uh, with way too heavy of a hand. Right. He's judge, jury, executioner. Rob Manfred actually did what people criticize Goodell for not doing. He basically brokered deals. He worked with the, the union. Now, you can count me among those who think Rob Manfred's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I I think there's I think there's levels of immunity he could have offered players that don't include getting away scot free. But he did what the football players bitch about Roger Goodell not doing. It that dynamic is just interesting to me. That's very true. Um, as for what it's going to mean moving forward, it, you know, with the the, the next CBA, I I, I don't know. It, it uh, I feel like in both of those sports, the, the unions have caved so often on so many different things that I I almost don't take them seriously. Yeah, I don't want to strike. I don't want to lock out. I, I mean, that to me would be. Right now, that's the last thing baseball needs. You are already lagging behind other sports in the collective consciousness. You can't just go away. Right. You 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 cannot just go away. Um, and people's memories of the '94 strike are still fresh enough. And then since then, you've thrown at them steroids, and now this cheating scandal with the Astros. It would be the last straw for a lot of people. But then there's also the part of me that wants to see these players stick to their guns. I, I say it with the NFL guys all the time. They, they bitch about Thursday night football. They bitch about the franchise tag. They, they bitch about no guaranteed money. Well, in the next year, they have a chance to do something about it, and it doesn't appear that they will. Right. So when Thursday night football comes back or the franchise tag comes back or uh, you, you're still not getting the guaranteed money that the NBA and baseball guys are, I don't want to hear you bitch because now's your chance to do something about it. Um, and there's a long history in both of those sports of the players' associations caving, of the players caving. And until I see otherwise, I, I assume they will again. But you know, with, with, with the new CBA looming, this whole thing playing out in front of us is, I think, really fascinating. So let's end on a, a, a lighter note. There, yeah. Eno Saris had a great article. Yeah. Your colleague, yeah. Eno Saris, uh, had a great article about beer rankings. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been to a couple. I've been to Petco, which I was happy to see that that yeah. was up there on top. I agree with that. He ranked the ballparks by their craft beer offerings. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Grand American being eighth. Obviously, I mean, that, that article made me miss baseball so much, and I can't wait to come back. <laughs> I feel uh, the same way, yeah. Grand American being eighth, and I know it's super subjective. Yeah. Do you think it's fair? I So I looked at it, and I was trying to guess where GABP would rank. And I guess 10th. Okay. In large part because I've talked with Eno about GABPs, or about Cincinnati's beer scene. Yeah. And I know he's high on it. So I, I knew that he would have it reasonably high. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll make a, a, an admission that will piss off beer snobs. When I go to a Major League Baseball game, Get some Bud. I'm there to drink Budweiser. Yeah. I yeah I mean you know now if I if I go, um you know if I go to a park that I haven't been I went to Atlanta last year for the first time and I, you know I wanted to try one of the local brews, 
but but I did that at the the bar outside the ballpark. You know, for, for what a big league beer cost, I I want something I can rely on, and so I, I'm I'm not a beer snob. Like I I can I can do both. You know, I, I can go to a craft brewery, find stuff that I like, and and rave about it. I could drink Bud Select and Budweiser and um, Coors Banquet. You know, I mean, I I had no issue doing that at, yeah. at all. So. When I go to Great American Ballpark, even if I do get something local, a craft beer, and there's a number of great ones, a number of great ones, um, all of which are, are well documented. I, I, I want to see Braxton put in their uh, 1957 English Mild at the beginning of the season, at least, because it's a, it's a seasonal offering. And I'd love to see Ryan guys put in their Morelos, which is their, their take on Cerveza. Yes, I want those in Great American Ballpark. But if I go to a Reds game... Even if I have some of those, at some point I'm getting a Budweiser draft beer. Yeah. So. Because you get just as much for like almost five bucks. I like less. Budweiser draft beer. Yeah. That I like too. Budweiser draft beer at a baseball game. Number one, it reminds me of my dad who loved Budweiser. Number two, I like Budweiser. So I, I like Bud draft at a ball game, and I have uh, no issue saying that to people. And I'm not, and I'm, again, I, I will. I've gone to GABP, seen new tap handles, and gone, okay, I'm going to try one of those. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I'm happy to sling, uh, sling you know, I, I go to Wrigley Field every year and sit in the bleachers, and that's Budweiser branded, and I have a great time. And there actually is a craft beer bar now in the bleachers on the left field side, and you can find some really good stuff, but on a hot day, man... I'm not drinking an oatmeal stout, you know. No, yeah. You know, and I, I don't, I don't want uh, an IPA that's going to linger on my mouth for the next, you know, five hours. <laughs> Just sorry, <laughs> uh, you know. I don't know how beer snobs are, man. I'm, I'm, I'm no, happy no, no, no. to, I'm happy to drink something from St. Louis or Milwaukee. So. For sure, man. Even well, though, even though those companies aren't really owned by folks in St. Louis or Milwaukee anymore. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, I will come up with something for the Fivers Club next time. Uh, thank you so much for being on a bunch, and we'll have you on again soon. I look forward to it. Hope you didn't mind the extra length podcast here for your Friday, but I find a really good way to kick off the weekend is with some Red Stock, so hopefully you agree. Anyway, that's going to do it for us this week here on the Locked On Reds podcast. Coming next Monday, guess what, folks? We have a spring training game to recap. That's right. The first Reds spring training game is tomorrow. They're playing the Indians. They're in Goodyear because, well, guess what? They both share the same spring training stadium in the Cactus League. But we'll be talking about it. We'll be talking about that. We'll be looking in some other spring training headlines. All that good stuff, man. Baseball is back, baby. Yeah, oh, man. (laughs) I'm fired up. Anyway, thanks so much for listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr, and I will talk to all of you on Monday. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 